This is Hugh Douglas from 9290 Game, and you listen to MTMD Sports. Welcome back, everybody, to the episode of the Jay Stevens Podcast. This is episode number 92, dedicated to the man who won the 1992 NBA Rookie of the Year Award, Mr. Larry Johnson. Some call him Grandma Ma. It is always, thank you for listening and downloading to the episode of the podcast. On today's episode, we talk a little bit about episode 7 and 8 of The Last Dance. There are claims that another star college athlete received illegal benefits. But first, the Podcast hotline is always open, 850-462-5442. Yes, the podcast hotline is always open, 850-462-5442. Give it a call. Let your voice be heard. Saturday evening was UFC 249. Saturday evening, a lot of people were watching Dana White to see how he handled this situation. Not the situation to see how he handled UFC 249, a big event for UFC. Not that situation. To see how he handled the Ronaldo Souza positive COVID-19 test. Yes, a fighter tested positive for COVID-19. And instead of Dana White losing his mind, Dana White freaking out, Dana White not having a backup plan or having an idea of what he would do if this happened, he realized, hey, we have to face it. We have to announce it. And the show must go on. Friday evening, less than 24 hours to the time of UFC 249 being started, Ronaldo Souza, the announcement came that he had tested positive for COVID-19. And if I'm thinking in my mind like I was at that time, the thoughts in my head were Rob Manfred, Adam Silver, Roger Goodell, watch how Dana White does it. Now, this is Friday evening. I had no idea what was going to happen on Saturday if UFC 249 was going to actually go uh, take place. But what I did know was you could learn either a good thing from Dana White or a bad thing from Dana White. Roger Goodell's kind of in the, kind of like the fly on the wall. He gets to observe everything. He gets to kind of sit back and see, oh, this is how they're doing it. I don't like that. This is how they're doing it. I like that. And so he's kind of getting to sit back and get a bird's eye view of everything going on. As we all know, the NFL schedule just came out. No one ever said anything about changing the dates of regular season games or changing the date of when the regular season is going, regular season games or changing the date of preseason games either. Adam Silver, Rob Manfred. Rob Manfred, very, very close to having a set plan and getting very close to announcing when Spring Training 2.0 is going to be started and then when the season is actually going to start. Adam Silver, he has to figure out if he's going to finish the 2019-2020 season. But we all can learn a lot from Dana White. Friday evening, like I said, the Ronaldo Souza positive COVID-19 test was announced. And Saturday evening, UFC 249 went on like planned. No fans in the stands. The fighters went on and fought. Um, There was uh, Joe Rogan doing post-fight interviews in the ring. And we even heard that there were fighters altering how they fought, how they were fighting, because they heard the commentators while they were fighting. They could hear the commentators critiquing them and saying, oh, that won't work, do this, or oh, that won't work, do that, or or oh, uh, this is what that person is doing to uh, to get the upper hand on their opponent. And the fighters were actually utilizing the commentators to their advantage. Imagine that. We all think, and myself included, 
it's going to throw the fighters off. It's going to throw the athletes off. No, it actually helped them, helped them at that time. They did not use it as criticism. They did not get in their feelings, as some may call it. They just used it to their advantage in extra coaching, added coaching to help them win the fight. Imagine that. And Dana White sitting back like, hey, guys, the show must go on. It's a necessary risk that must happen right now in our in our organization in UFC because the show must go on. There are jobs that are that stick with COVID nineteen, not the commentators, not the fighters. We don't we forget about the freelance uh, reporters and the freelance photographers and the videographers, the people that are running the, that are behind the camera and behind the scenes. There are jobs that are at stake. There are jobs that are tied to sports and UFC two forty nine and the. NBA, MLB, NHL, NFL, there are jobs that are held there not by those people that we would think or that we'd see on the television or those in a production crew, not those at all. There are so many people whose jobs are on the line with sports. And there was an article, I think it was the Washington Post or New York Post, a guy said, we can learn a lot from, from the coronavirus that we need less sports in our country. I definitely do not agree with that. But one thing I do know that sports brings is it brings jobs, it brings happiness, it brings joy to our lives, a smile on our face. And if you saw, if you were watching UFC 249, if you were a fighting fan, I am sure you are one of the people that were looking at your television screen, no matter how much money you spent to, to watch the fight, you were happy. You were very, very happy to watch a fight. Why? You love what you were watching, and you love what was going on in that ring. Dana White had a decision to make. Am I going to fold back? Am I going to fall back? Am I going to fold up? Am I going to cancel this thing or postpone it a second time? Mind you, this was UFC 249 was supposed to be April 18th. It got postponed. UFC 250 was supposed to be May 9th this past Saturday. UFC 250 got pushed back. 249 got put on May 9th. The original date for UFC 250. And the rest is history. Dana White, bravo, hand clap. Handling in the way that you saw fit and you didn't back down when you made the decision to keep UFC 249 going despite a fighter testing positive and that announcement coming out that that positive test less than 24 hours prior to the time of UFC 249 starting. Roger Goodell, Rob Manfred, Adam Silver, you're on the clock. Watch Dana White. Learn from what he's doing. Uh, add it, ad- adapt some of his idea, some of his uh, ideas to what you're doing right now to either get the season to start on time or to have the season start MLB at some point or NBA to just have the NBA season start sometime soon so everyone can get back to some sense of normalcy. Let's go ahead and take a trip. To Birmingham, Alabama, because at the age of 30 years old, Michael Jordan left the NBA for baseball? One thing I keep reminding myself every time I watch this docuseries is that Michael Jordan is allowing his story to be told the way that Michael Jordan wants his story to be told. Because at the beginning of episode number 7, I saw, or no, we all saw, there was a Jerry Krause interview, and I'm thinking, are we going to do some more Jerry Krause slander? Are we going to do some more stabbing of Jerry Krause when Jerry Krause can't defend himself? What are we going to do here? 
Well, Michael Jordan wants it to be known. That's, that's what I've gathered. He wants it to be known that he doesn't like Jerry Krause. He wants everyone to understand the type of individual that he views Jerry Krause to be. And so at the beginning of this, there's that press conference and there's this quote that I happen to write down thinking there's more Jerry Krause talk, there's more Jerry Krause lander. No, this is just a quick jab at Jerry, a quick jab to let the world know that, well, Jerry Krause already has his mind made up about how the season's going to go, and he's not going to admit or be 100% truthful about how he is treating the other members of this organization. This quote was in the interview in the press conference, and well, this is how Michael Jordan kind of views Jerry Krause at this point in time. Quote, there's no backstabbing going on here, end quote. Jerry, we all know that there is, there has been, and going on, there might, there probably will be if you keep going on longer in this role of being GM of the Chicago Bulls. There was, there used to be, there is now, and there probably will be down the road because that's just how you have operated your operation the entire time you have been the GM of the Chicago Bulls. But in episode number seven, it's very, very interesting. The one thing I didn't like at all was how, well, I do understand why it happened, but I don't like how people, one, accuse Michael Jordan's gambling issues to be a possible problem and to be the possible cause of his dad being murdered. Come on now, guys. Come on. How would you feel if you're if you're living your life? Let's say you do have a gambling problem. You have a gamble. You gamble a lot. You compete a lot. You take you like you like taking other people other people's money out of their pocket. Then all of a sudden you hear your dad die. You haven't heard from your dad in three weeks. No one knows where pops has been in three weeks. And then all of a sudden, Michael was 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 this was this uh, something that you did? Not you personally, but your actions. Did your actions lead to this outcome? Come on, think a little bit. But I know reporters, they try to get a story. They want to be the first to, be, to get a story. They want to be the first to, to break some news. I, I get all of that. But, but guys, come on. Let, let's think a little bit. Let's realize what's going on here. You're attacking another man and saying, hey, were you the reason somebody else died and that other person being your brother, your dad? And everybody knows how close Michael Jordan was to his dad. C- come on now, guys. Think a little bit. Think, and I'm sitting here in my in my apartment, I'm like on my couch, thinking this can't be real. I had heard about these stories. I I I I'm, lear- I'm learning things as it goes, and be, being reminded of things as this docu series progresses, just like other people are. But man, come on, come on, that hit me hard because if if my actions were the ones that someone accused my fa- my father being murdered, and they said, oh, my actions were what caused this outcome, I'd be ready to fight. I, I literally, I'm not. I am not a fighter. My friends that know me know me. My parents will listen to this. Um, there are a lot of some of my friends listen to this religiously. I am not a fighter <laughs> by no stretch of the imagination. Jay Stevens is not a fighter. But if that happened, if someone were to attack me like that, my first reaction might be to fight. I don't know. I'm a spur of the moment kind of guy. Over the weekend, I took a spur of the moment trip, went to a couple state parks, enjoyed nature. It wasn't planned. It literally just happened. So at that time, I may react in fighting. I may react in walking away. I just don't know. But fighting may be the outcome of that situation. And a lot of people at this at this time also, they were asking Michael Jordan when he retired in 93, was you're gambling the cause of this suspension. Was this an under-the-table suspension? Your gambling had gotten so bad that David Stern believed the way to 
pay back or to uh, punish you for doing what is going on, taking the best player in the NBA out of the league, the guy that brings so much money to the league that enhances the value of every single team in the league and helps uh, push the league to to an area that David Stern wants it to be. Oh, David Stern, you're the reason why Michael Jordan retired from the game of basketball because it was an under-the-table suspension for 18 months. Come, Come on. Let's think a little bit. Let's think about how dumb some of these things are. Just like that frozen envelope where the Knicks got Patrick Ewing. You think that? I don't believe. I don't believe that was that was uh, rigged at all. But I know a lot of NBA fans, a lot of sports fans, believe that that draft was rigged for. Patrick Ewing to be drafted by the New York Knicks in the 1985 draft. A lot of people believe that. But there's so much going on. There's so many uh, small pieces that have to be put together that if that were the case, oh my goodness, wow. Wow, wow, wow. David Stern would have a lot, a lot of explaining to do. But 92, June of 92, and this has been circulated for a while. A lot of people know of this about Michael Jordan. But some people believed or had believed that Michael Jordan just said, oh, I'm going to retire at the end of the season. I'm going to retire and go play baseball. But in June of 92, a year prior, literally a year prior to him deciding to retire and to announce his retirement, he had talked to, I believe it was Tim Grover, his, his trainer. He's like, get me ready for baseball. You could look at Michael Jordan, saw he was physically exhausted, mentally exhausted at the age of 29. Been in the league since I believe the age of 21 or 22. Imagine all that stress, all the weight of a city, the weight of a team, being the best player, not just in your own league, but the best player in the world at that time at any sport. Imagine that. Imagine the media. Imagine wherever you go, you have to have extra security because you are that dude. And in Michael Jordan's mind at the moment, he was like, man, I am mentally and physically exhausted. And with that being the way that I am currently, I believe the best thing for me to do is to go play baseball. It's kind of my release. It was uh, my first love as a kid. Me and my dad played all the time. It was a connection to him and his dad had. So, yeah, I get it. But in June of 92, Michael Jordan started training not to get better at basketball, which he was doing at the same time. He started training to leave the NBA to go play baseball. And in 93, when that retirement happened, he believed, just like many fans, believed that Michael Jordan would never come back to play basketball ever again in his life. We know the rest of the story. We all know what happens after that, but never to play ever again in his life. Today in our in our day and age, we have guys, Patrick Willis, uh, Andrew Luck, Rob Gronkowski. We have guys, Luke Keekley, uh, Calvin Johnson. We have guys that are mm, retiring at young ages. It, it, we're shocked by it. What are you doing? Why? Why in the world are you allowing yourself to retire at this age? What do you do? You have a lot of your career left. What are you doing? Come on. Just relax a little bit. Just just, no, just, just keep playing. Just, just keep playing. But they're saying the best thing for me to do as an individual is to retire from the game that I love. And I know Colts fans. I know, I know 49ers fans. I know Panthers fans. You guys are all longing. Come back. Come back. Come back. Come back. We need you to play. We need you to be successful. We need you to win. Come back. Come back. Come back. And it's the same way that the Bulls fans were yelling. Come back, Mike. Come back. We don't want to let you leave. We know we got Scotty. We know we got Phil. But we don't want you to leave. Come back. Come back. And then we got Horace. Horace Grant. Come on now. Come on, guys. Come back. He's a good player, but he's not. No, but he's no Michael Jordan. Come back. 
come back. And that's what a lot of people are trying to get Michael Jordan to do is to literally come back to the NBA. Michael Jordan goes to play baseball. And one thing, one thing I did not know at all was that he left and that he arrived to training camp with Terry Francona as a manager. Imagine that. With Terry Francona as a manager. And Michael Jordan gets there four days before the end of training camp. This isn't like he's getting there four days after training camp. I mean, uh, training camp started or uh, things like that. No, four days before it ends. So Michael Jordan's being thrown into the fire, thrown into the den of wolves and saying, hey, I hope you can survive. I hope you can figure this thing out on the on the fly because, uh, well, we have games to play. And when we have games to play, fans are going to show up. When we have fans that show up, they expect big things from you because your name is Michael Jeffrey Jordan and they know exactly what you have done in your basketball career. And with you doing those things in your basketball career, they're expecting those same things in your minor league baseball career. One thing, another thing I didn't really realize, I didn't know, was that he was going to go to single A, but because of the media uh, hysteria, the amount of media that was going to be there, they had to put him in double A. Imagine you playing your first season in minor league baseball after playing professional basketball from 1984 till 1993, and you go play minor league baseball, go on a 13-game hitting streak, and at the end of the season, you go, you hit 202. Let me put that in, in terms for most everyone so everyone can understand. You get up to bat in minor league baseball in double A 10 times. Could you hit two of the balls? My venture, my guess is that you and I would have probably hit zero. Zilch, nada, goose egg, not going to happen. We all marvels like, ooh, Mike hit 202. Can we just stop and realize what that meant? Michael Jordan hitting 202? Mike hit 202. 202, yes. We're like, oh, if you're a major league baseball hitter, that's not good at all. The average person, the above average person, a good athlete that hasn't done this ever in their life, then all of a sudden they're going to stop doing something that they've done from 84 till 93 and just go ahead, even though they have been training for baseball, transforming their body into a baseball body from the from June of 92, before the Summer Olympics, before the Dream Team, Michael Jordan had already said, I'm ready to go play baseball. I need to train to get ready for baseball. And when he was with the Olympics, he said, hey man, look, if we didn't have the Olympics, I might go do this thing right now after winning too. But he also realized, Mike, excuse me, Magic never won three in a row. Light Bird never won three in a row. He knew he was better than Isaiah Thomas, but Isaiah Thomas never won three in a row. He knew he was better than all those, all those guys, but he wanted to stick it to them. More, mostly Magic and Larry didn't really mention Isaiah that much. That was just me throwing that jab in there for Michael's sake. But three in a row, he knew that. So he, he kept playing, but 202 from 84 to 93, being the best at your sport, going to play another sport, even though it's at a minor league level, most regular people, most athletes could not go into minor league baseball, the double A level, the single A level. Let's just be specific right now and hit 202. Baseball in Birmingham. Did you see that scene there? All those fans, everyone there excited because Michael Jordan is literally there. That little kid that was on the street that got out of his car in the middle of the road to go get Michael Jordan's autograph, walked over, Mike signed the ball, Mike drove away with the screeching tires, homie got back in his car and drove away. 
but it was uh, it was mass hysteria. But that's what Michael Jordan meant to just people in general to society. He was that guy. He was that dude. He still is that dude. And just Michael Jordan, I sure wish they would have they had more time to dive deeper into baseball because that's one part of Michael Jordan's career I know very little about. I know a lot of people listening to this know very little about as well. Michael Jordan, the baseball player. Think about it in your mind. Could you in your mind? Prepare to do something else a year before it happens and still perform at your highest ability at what you're currently doing in your career. Oh, I'm I'm doing X career right now, but I want to do Y career eventually. Y career needs a lot of training and I want to train for Y while still performing very, very high at career X. Hard, very hard. Let that sink in for a little bit. Michael Jordan going to play baseball. I get tired of hearing the Michael Jordan suspension talk. I get tired of hearing people slander Michael Jordan's name and say that he was a cause of his dad dying and being murdered. Come on, guys. Get a break. Think a little bit. I understand wanting to break a story and being the first to break a story. But let's think before we talk. Too many times in our society, we don't do that. <laughs> and we get things like this to happen to Michael Jeffrey Jordan. Michael Jordan in baseball, it's amazing. It, we, we may never see another athlete do what he did, where just he left a sport to go play another, and he was in the, <laughs> the people just loved him. And even in his failures, he was Michael Jordan. And if he kept progressing, the story is told that if Michael Jordan stuck with baseball, unlike Tim Tebow, Michael would have made the big leagues. By this time in Michael Jordan's career, there are teammates, there are opponents, there are coaches, there are referees, there are fans, there are media members that know exactly what not to do to get Michael Jordan riled up. It's the same way in our society today. Those of us that have played sports, those of us that are in the work field, I'm currently in the sales field right now, and I know exactly what not to do. Actually, it actually don't work work against me. It works to my benefit because it makes our boss a lot happier. But if I get under someone's skin just a tad, then I know exactly what that outcome is going to be when when I used to sell cars for a long time. There were guys that were better car salesmen than me. I'm not going to deny that. I'm not going to say that I am the best car salesman to ever walk the earth. But there were guys there that were better than me. And I knew what to do to kind of get under their skin, to kind of get them to work a little bit better. And there are things that people knew to do to me to kind of push me along a little bit, to make me work a little bit better. It's, it's, just, come, it's just how the human nature works out. But by this time, if, I'm a, if I am Michael Jordan's opponent, why in the world am I going to say things to get under Michael's skin? BJ Armstrong, what are you doing? I know it's the playoffs. I know you, I know you have a game. I know you know you just had a game, a game that doesn't really happen ever in your career. You just had one of those freak games where what you're doing on the court is uh is out of this world that you can never you can never dream this in your wildest imagination. You never thought you would have this type of game, especially against Michael Jordan, the best player in the NBA. So what do you do? You have your game and then you talk trash to Mike. Come on, man. What are you doing? Like, do you guys not understand who Michael Jordan is and what motivates him to go a little bit better and to play a little bit harder and to just basically take it to you? So at the very next game in game two, you only had how many points? I believe it was two. Come come on, man. What are you doing? BJ, you know exactly what to do to not get Michael Jordan riled up, but you did it anyway. That LeBron Smith game that he had talked about where he had 37 in Chicago, it was a back-to-back and the, the Washington Bullets, which a lot of people, a lot of youngsters watching this probably never heard of that squad before. 
but the bullets uh, that were there, and LeBron Smith, never even heard of the guy before, literally never heard of him, had 37 in Chicago, after the game, walked past Mike and said, nice game, Mike, in my head, everybody on Twitter, the people on the docuseries, we're all wondering, why in the world would you say that to Michael Jordan when you know Mike didn't have a good game and you had a career game? Why in the world would that's like saying that to LeBron, saying that to Kobe, uh, saying that to Magic, to Larry, to Isaiah, Charles Barkley, Carl Malone, say it to all these guys. Tim Duncan, say it to all these guys. Why in the world would you walk by them when you have a career game, a game that nobody believed, even yourself, even your own mama may not believe that you could play like that in the National Basketball Association. Oh, I would have I got some confidence now. You know how it is when you get some confidence. When you get some confidence, you start acting brand new. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Got you a new job. Almost it's in your mind. You're like, I got me a new job. Got me a new wardrobe. Got me a new car. Hey, I'm acting brand new. So it's the same thing when you have a career game. Or if you go to work in whatever field you're in, uh, if you're a teacher or things like that, you have a really good day, kids are actually getting it for once, hey, you acting brand new. So LeBron Smith decided to act brand new. What happened the very next the very next game? Mike had 36 in the first half. Mike literally said for the game, I want to have what he, get, what he had the game in the first half. One point shot. Hey, I'll give it to you. Hey, hey, I'll give it to you. Go right ahead. Do what you got to do. <laughs> Show him who is boss. Mike, do your thing. And then also, when Mike came back wearing number 45, no, I'm getting ahead of myself now. I want to go back to the I'm back press conference or presser that happened. But when Nick Anderson had a game, you know how it is when guys just have a game. They have a game in the playoffs. Mike's on the court. Mike's wearing number 45. And he's going to say, 45 is a 23. Come come on now. Come on. You already know Mike's in his head. Mike's in his head wondering how in the world am I going to fix my game. I know that I've been playing baseball. I understand that I just came back. I know I understand that it's a shock with everybody, maybe even myself. I know the itch had been there for a little bit. But I'm back. I'm back at the phone with my boys wearing the Bulls colors, the red, black, and white. I got 45. That was my first number uh, when, I played, when I played in high school. Okay, cool. Mike. Good for you. But Nick Anderson, you ought to know out of all people, don't do that. D- don't do not do that. Don't do that at all. Because you know you singing these little things to Mike, they are magnified in a big way in the very next game. Mike went from 45 to 23. The rest is history. The Magic didn't win that series. But if you think about, we know we just talked about Michael Jordan playing baseball, and he left. Uh, from he played basketball from '84 to '93 in June of '92, the summer of uh, the summer '92 Summer Olympics, uh, the dream team in Barcelona. And Mike said, "Hey, get me ready. You trade me to play baseball." Sure, trainer's like, "What? Excuse me, baseball?" But you can see when you're around Mike every single day, the physical exhaustion, the mental exhaustion, the fatigue that just described his entire life. Yes, they said, okay, cool. Get me ready for baseball. Went to play baseball, had that had that thing there, was gone for about a year and a half, then came back to basketball. Yeah, it's going to be a struggle. It's going to be a struggle. But could you imagine the joy that not just Bulls fans, not just basketball fans, but that the NBA front office had when they just simply saw I'm back. Could you imagine the type of 
joy that it was to basketball fans. Yeah, you had Shaquille at this time. You had Grant Hill at this time. I believe Penny Hardaway was in the league at this time as well. You had a lot of young talent. Jawan Howard, uh, Reggie Miller, who had been in since 87, but was still considered a young guy under Michael Jordan's eyes. Um, Jawan Howard. I, somebody help me understand how in the world did they invite Sean Bradley to those pickup games uh, at Warner Brothers Studios? Because somebody help me out and tell me how Sean Bradley got invited. Now, granted, I do understand how Sean Bradley was a part of the Space Jam movie. I do get that. But, bruh, <laughs> if you just getting some run in, okay, cool. But he's just some top all-star athletes, and you, sir, are definitely not an all-star. Sure, okay, maybe Mike wanted to say, hey, he he's shooting with me. He's going to get this run in with us. Okay, great. Go ahead. Do, do whatever you got to do. The old school shirts and skins, great, y'all. Great. But Sean Bradley, ah, all the guys on the court, even even Jawan Howard. Y'all may want to knock Jawan Howard as you want to. When he came into the league, he was putting up numbers, and he was a really good force, a really good player down low. Say whatever you want to say about him. He was a good player. Sean Bradley ain't that good. <laughs> no, Sean Bradley ain't that good. But that one statement, that one sentence, that one phrase, I'm back. Everyone knew exactly what that meant. They knew that the guy that they had missed for so long, about a year and a half, was back in the NBA. And I, I once again, I know all you guys listening. You want a Patrick Willis. You want an Andrew Luck. You want a Luke Keekley. I know, uh, well, maybe Patriots fans, they probably thought, hey, Wop will come back to us. No, but I know p- football fans in general. I know Tom Brady is is in love. It's, it's so happy that Rob Gronkowski came back to the game of football, came back to the National Football League. But I'm back. I can only imagine what was going through Jerry Cross's mind and Jerry Reindorf's mind, Scottie Pippen's mind, Phil Jackson's mind. Eventually, the very next season, after Mike came back, they got Dennis Rodman's mind. I, and I wonder in my head if at the time Dennis Rodman was like, hey, Mike came back. I'm leaving the Spurs to go to, to, go to Chicago right now. I don't care what Greg Popovich tells me or what he wants to pay me or if he wants to uh, up my role or anything like that. I'm leaving San Antonio and going to play for Phil Jackson. If I'm going to leave one coach, at this time, Popovich was not a Hall of Fame coach. He is not the guy that we believe that we know of today and that we believe today is a future uh, Hall of Famer. He is not that guy. At this time, early on in Popovich's career, uh, hasn't really made a, a name for himself just yet. So if Dennis Rodman wanted to say, hey, I want to leave Pop. I want to go for Phil. Hey, everybody understands. Now, nowadays, and even back then, it was more prevalent. It was more, more eye-popping, eye-opening. Yeah, okay, it makes sense. You want to leave San Antonio, ain't one nothing. David Robinson's here. Um, Very next year, actually, <laughs> he got hurt. It was weird. Uh, he ended up with no, a couple years, 96, 97. But he got hurt, hurt his back, missed, missed most, if not all, of that season. But it was just amazing and I was not privileged enough to be at that game even though I live in Indianapolis I was in, I was in Indianapolis at that time I was not privileged to go down to Marcus Square Arena and be at the Michael and be at the game of Michael Jordan came back to basketball after his first retirement was not there one of my guys was one of my buddies that was on the podcast uh, recently um, maybe a few months ago now Darren Granger went to high school with him he was at that game and I could just I could just imagine the type of thought, the type of smile, the type of joy, the type, the, 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 the sure, uh, the feel of emotion that you had never felt before for a guy that had been your opponent your entire life. Mike's back. Mike's back. Michael's back. And I, I know sports fans in Indiana, basketball fans in Indiana, very, 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 very crazy, very, very wild. If you see the 30 for 30 on the, on the Pacers and Knicks, you understand during this time, this was not for the faint of heart. Being an opponent there in Marcus Square Arena was definitely not for the faint of heart. 
But everybody downtown Indianapolis stood up, cheered, because Michael Jordan was back. They knew exactly what he meant to the league. Even LeBron James going to Indiana. People boo LeBron. There were LeBron fans. There were Laker fans here in, in Indianapolis. There were Heat fans here. There were Cavs fans here. Wow, it's amazing a guy of that caliber has played for three different for for all for three different franchises. Wow, that's amazing. Um, but when LeBron comes to town, when Kobe comes to town, Kobe not so much as LeBron because people in Indiana that we we really more like Kobe than LeBron. But when LeBron comes here, based off what LeBron has done to us, oh yeah, fans boo. Loud, very loud. When LeBron gets that ball, when LeBron is introduced, fans boo. Not as bad, not as loud as they did in the 90s. Uh, things are a little dialed down, a little uh, diluted right now as far as how the fans are, about how wild and crazy they are about the about their basketball team. But that's for sports fans in general. A lot of things are diluted, not as intense as they used to be. But, man, if I was at that game, if I was just a fly on the wall, if I was able to see that scene and hear everything that was going on, wow, I could, I could just imagine Michael's back. Michael's back. Michael's back. The league is back to the way that I loved it and that it used to be. And I sure hope it doesn't change anytime soon. Let's move away from an individual that played his college basketball at the University of North Carolina and Michael Jordan to another individual that played his college ball for Michael Jordan's rival, the Duke Blue Devils. Not at the same time. This is more recent. A gentleman that everyone listening has heard of. Zion Williamson. Zion Williamson's former representative, Miss Gina Ford, is going after him in a legal way. You may be wondering, Jay, what in the world does Zion Williamson do? He he's a clean cut guy. He operates in the right way, in the right manner. What in the world did he do? And we all know how it is with college athletes. There's always more to the story. There's always things that are swept under the rug. There are always things. There are a lot of things that go on that no one knows about until those players are no longer playing collegiate sports. And it's the same way with Zion Williamson. When Zion Williamson got out of Duke and he was preparing to play and to enter the NBA and get drafted in the NBA draft, he signed with Prime Sports Marketing with Miss Gina Ford. And Miss Gina Ford represented him. All and it, when he had signed with them, he had signed a five-year contract. You're thinking five-year contract. I'm 18, 19 years old. Five years. I'll be 20, 23, 24. I think, I think it'll be 24 at the time. Okay, great. I'm with this young lady. She's going to help me. She's going to groom me, help me to be the proper uh, pro that I can be, help me to get endorsements and things like that. This is going to be a great fit for me and my career, Miss Gina afford however that contract that Zion Williamson and Miss Gina Ford committed to that was actually broken June 13th so on June 13th this contract was broken they wanted to terminate the contract and then ultimately Zion Williamson signed with Creative Artist Agency on May the 30th so you broke it on June 13th, but you signed with somebody else on May the 30th. Keep in mind, May the 30th hasn't even happened yet because May the 30th, this was last year. June 13th, this was last year. This is before Zion Williamson even ever played one second of professional basketball. Maybe even in before Summer League, Zion said, hey, by June 13th, by, by May 30th, I want somebody else. By June 13th, a couple weeks before the draft, I'm going to... Uh, uh, break this contract and, and terminate this contract to go with somebody else. Maybe saying, Jerry, you sure about that? Well, today is what? May the 11th? May 30th is in a couple weeks. Zion hasn't played one full year of basketball. 
you put your mind together and figure out the calendar for yourself. Trust me, I was thinking the same thing. I'm not trying to be funny or, or, or crude or anything like that. No, literally, I'm thinking in my head like, wait, okay, so June 13th, May 30th, these dates have not happened this year. This is his first year, so this, ha- this has to go back to last year. Well, Miss Gina Ford has decided to go after Zion Williamson in a legal way because she wants him to admit that he received impermissible benefits, illegal benefits under NCAA standards to attend Duke University or an Adidas brand school that he did, that his mom, Ms. Sharonda Sampson, did, or that Mr. Lee and or Mr. Lee Anderson, his stepfather, that one of the three and that Zion Williamson knew about it, that he received impermissible benefits to attend Duke or an Adidas brand school. Now, we all know that Duke is a Nike brand. Duke has been a Nike brand. I don't remember ever in my lifetime, you may remember in yours, that Adidas represented Nike. No, checks over stripes all day long. And so when I'm thinking about this, impermissible benefits, and Mr. David, Wall, David, excuse me, Daniel Wallach, he talks about this on his Twitter feed as well. Miss Gina Ford's coming strong. This isn't no, she's not just saying, oh, did you or did you not? What did you get? No, admit it or, uh, th- admit it or else. Admit that you did this or else. Admit that you received these benefits or else. From persons on behalf of Duke, persons on behalf of Nike, persons on behalf of Adidas, and people, I have talked to people before that believe this doesn't happen in sports. That these organizations, these shoe companies, and and Nike and Adidas, they don't just give out money to people. They don't just give out money to anybody. They they don't just give up money. Do you think Ms. Gina Ford would go around and take this to the court and present court papers and legal documents to Zion Williamson if this did not happen? If she did not have ample enough information to make this claim and to make this statement? I don't think so. I think a woman of her stature in her, in her business, she knows she has to have enough proof, uh, way more proof than what's needed to make the accusation that is being made. And Ms. Gina Ford also states in these legal documents that this was going on between January 1st of 2014 until the date that Zion committed to Duke, which was January 20th of 2018. Imagine four years of courting. Four years of different schools trying to pull you their way. Four years going from your freshman through your senior year or even into your eighth grade year. Let's be specific now. Four years of this going on. Four years you're 15, 16 years old and all you're you're opening the door. Another gift. You're opening the door. Another gift. You get a phone call. Oh, let's go out to eat. You're getting all these things. You go out to eat. You may get a check. All of these things are going on. And I'm like, Is this the first time this happened? I don't believe so. Is it going to keep happening? I believe so. Why? Because top college coaches are all trying to get the top talent all at the same time that sometimes they go to high school games. You'll go to a high school game. You'll see three or four or five top D1 coaches at the same game sitting together, scouting the same player at AAU tournaments, you'll see coaches there all over the place. They're all trying to get the top talent to get the upper hand all at the same time. You may want to get on a Rick Pitino for what happened at Louisville. You may say that John Calipari is guilty. You may say that Sean Miller is guilty. You may say that Bill Self is guilty. 
the Georgia Tech head coach that escapes my mind. You may say that he's that he's guilty. You may say that Will Wade is guilty. You may say that Coach K is guilty. Roy Williams is guilty. Nobody ever says anything about Jim Beheim, but he may be guilty as well. All of these guys are trying to get the top talent at the same time. And when you're trying to get the top talent, sometimes in your mind, you may think I have to cheat. I may have to do things illegally. And if somebody goes um, from this brand um, on their behalf, not on my behalf, but on their behalf, and presents X, Y, or Z to, to said recruit, hey, maybe said recruit will come to my school. Maybe said recruit will come here. Another thing, another accusation that's found in these legal court documents is that Miss Gina Ford is saying that Zion Williamson's permanent residence while at Duke was in South Carolina. So she's going after him, after him hard. It's not a, it did this happen? It's admission. It's admission. It's admit that this happened. Hey, Zion, you're not the first, won't be the last. These coaches, these brands, they want to do whatever it is. And actually, I have actually heard Zach Smith, former Ohio State wide receiver coach, he actually talked about how Adidas, they're more egregious. They're worse with this than Nike is. It's just since Nike is a bigger brand, everyone goes after Nike. Adidas, and even some Under Armour schools, they go after these athletes hard with gear. Very, very hard to try to persuade them or to pull them to the school that they're representing. This is not going to stop. Not going to stop at all. You can have all the FBI, all the wiretaps, all the FBI investigations. These coaches are finding ways to do things illegally to get top talent. Hey, it's just the nature of the beast. It sucks. I hate that these grown men in the room are taking advantage of these young men, 14, 15, 16 year old young men, because we all know a lot of these guys are getting recruited in seventh and eighth grade. Imagine being a middle school kid and an Adidas or Nike or Under Armour comes to your door and starts saying, hey, here's some gear, come to this school. Here's some gear, come to this school. Here's some money, here's a check, come to this school. A lot of these guys, some of these guys, not saying all, but some of these guys in the situations that they're living in where money is not uh, easily accessible and they're, they're struggling financially. Hey, some of these parents, they're taking it because they believe this is how they're able to make ends meet. I don't like it at all. Adults in the room, this has to stop. Miss Gina Ford, hey, I understand why you're doing what you're doing. If Zion did not break the contract, part of me believes this is not news right now. But when you break a contract, when somebody has information that can, that they can go after you in a legal way and to get revenge on you because you ended up commitment with it with them way too early. Hey, the rest is history. Zion knew when he signed the contract. He had a contract for five years. He broke the thing, and I'm sure that happens more often than not quite a bit where players break contracts with agents before the contract is up. But when you do something like that and the person on the other end is very upset and they feel like they have been abused and abused at this point in time in their life, hey, they come at, they may come after you in a legal way. And if they have enough information, if they have enough evidence to do so, watch out. Watch out because this thing is about to get ugly. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Jay Stevens Podcast. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at jstevens07. If you're not on Twitter and you allow connect to connect with the podcast, send your emails to jstevenspod 
at gmail.com. Remember to always subscribe, rate, and review. It's a great way for people that are searching for a new podcast to listen to to come across this one. Then remember to always get the word out about the podcast via word of mouth. The things that we enjoy in life, we are more willing and somewhat wired to tell other people about. So no matter if this was your first episode or if you have been listening since episode one, be sure that people know about the podcast. It's been episode nine, two of the JC Woods Podcast. I'll see you next time. Yo, this is Maddie Ray, and you're listening to MTMV Sports.